the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffle Podcast, Episode 49. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Good morning. Good morning. Actually, it is now afternoon. In the beautiful Austin, Texas, we are recording this on March 1st, and I mean, Austin was just waiting for the calendar to flip because it is like full on spring. Gorgeous outside. It's beautiful. It is beautiful now, but earlier when we were going to, when we were recording, like right before we started recording, the rains finally stopped, but it had been crazy rain all night long and um and then the sun just came out and blue skies and it parted and it knew that we were recording and I had to walk out to my studio so <laughs> oh, it's all beautiful now so yeah it's beautiful here too daffodils are blooming and the mustards are in the fields and yeah it's nice we uh, my our poppies the so we have poppies mm-hmm and they in in our yard, just in our front yard. Uh, actually, a few pop up in the back, but first their little greens come, shoot up first, so you know they're coming, yeah. and um, and then the little shoots will come up, the little flower shoots. But then this morning, the very first one opened. So I mean, Aww. March first. I know, I know. Right they're on so time. Mm-hmm. They're my favorite. Um, I saw your Instagram story um, about pitching a tent um, in your backyard. I would love to do that. I really, I really want to do it. Actually, yeah. Let's record a podcast from you out in the tent. In the tent <laughs> with your coffee, with my with my chirping. camp stove, and mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, maybe I won't shave for a month. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe, Sounds fun, though. Maybe I'll get a tent. I'll do it. And then we can interview Rich Roll in his tent. And we could all have, like, this tent podcast. It would be great. I, I, There's just something very appealing about it to me this time of year, mm. for sure. Just I, there's I, this is primal thing that I just want to be outside. Yeah. It's just so beautiful. Yeah. It doesn't last here. It get, it'll get very hot very soon. So, so you're going to enjoy March. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, I was going to tell you that I went to lunch um, with one of Jolene's clients who I mentioned briefly in the, um, in the interview today, but we, um, we went to lunch and we were talking about your book and I said, oh, I'm in, I went and got Sandra's book printed out um, so I could have a physical copy of it so that I can have it on my desk in the mornings. So I don't have to turn on any electronics um, or my computer. I can just sit down and sit with the prompt and she looks at me very sweetly and she's like well you know you can read it on your phone right oh yeah and I go you didn't know that no I don't know that (laughs) (laughs) and she's like uh yeah you just open up iBooks I go I don't have iBooks on my phone so she looks at my phone she's like oh you don't 
And I, she says, well, you just get iBooks and you open it up and it stays on the page you were at the day before. Like, look, and she opens up her. She's like, I have Sandra's book. And she opens it up and she shows me the prompt from the day before. And I was like, oh, I should really figure that out. <laughs> oh, that's kind of awesome. See, I didn't see I'm an Android user, so I wouldn't oh. have known about that. But I bet there's a I bet there's an Android version of that as well. It was so awesome, Sandra. So it's like on the phone on the you can flip through the pages like you're doing a reader like a, an iPad. People are probably listening going, OK, she doesn't have any clue. Of, how do we have a podcast? <laughs> 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 it's kind of funny, isn't it? Um <laughs> So then, I, so I downloaded your book. I, I put on iBooks on my phone, and then I was like, "Well, how do you get the? I don't understand how you get the um, book." Anyhow, I just drug it over to iBooks, your your PDF, and it came up. And I was like, "Oh, that means I can drag my book, my ebook, over there." So I did, and then another ebook I bought from another artist. So I dr- drug them all there. And I just have to find a cord to sync my phone with my computer. My one's, my cord's not working, but then I will have it on my phone and I can just pull it up every morning. There you go. There you go. I know that's well, not a big, you know, revelation to some, but to me it was. <laughs> our friend Michelle, you know, Michelle yeah. um, that lives in Texas, uh, she is on, um, she's a pe- She's got a great Instagram account, but I can't remember what her Instagram name is. Anyway, Michelle had it made into a book, like a real bound book. Bound? Yes, yes. She did an Instagram story. It almost made me cry. She was like flipping through it. Yeah, yeah. like, Like the cover and everything. I haven't even done that. And... I know there's plenty of book services. Now, I don't know. I'm not telling people to do this because I don't know how much this to do this costs. It could be very expensive. I have no idea. But I know that, like, there's a company called Blurb, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't Blurb print books? I believe so, um, yeah. yeah. So, anyway, it can be done. Michelle did it. She made it into, like, an actual book with a cover and everything. That's so and cool. I know it was so cool. Well, I took it to FedEx office. I had it made into um, a book and it's like a soft, um, it's almost like what you would go to a, like a work, a workshop or something and you get a big workbook. It's mm, bound, mm-hmm. like, I don't know what you call this binding. Um, let's see, two, four, six, eight. looks like there's 20 little holes and then you, I don't have any words today, Sandra. I'm sorry. <laughs> what you call this but it's your cover on the cover I'll send you a picture of it it's double-sided it's beautiful and um yeah it's going to sit on my desk so that I can have a physical I can I can flip it through the reason I wanted this kind of a binding was so that I didn't have to keep the book open to both pages I could you know kind of flip it around and just have one one side does that make sense I don't know if I'm making sense like I don't have to have the book open to fully open to both pages and, and have it close on me. so it's bound on the top and it's bound on the, the left side. side oh it's not bound on the left side yeah, okay yeah. and it's like a spiral type thing so that I can oh got it, it got around. it okay but like a spiral notebook so, you know so I can just have one um it only got takes it. up eight and a half by 11 inches on my desk so it's not all open but it's so beautiful and you're um I made sure that they did a a color cover for it um so I have the physical copy which is what I was telling this friend and she was like oh you know you can just read that on your phone I'm like oh yeah uh uh-huh I know that like like but then I have to go find the pdf and then I have to do this she's like 
No, you just go to iBooks. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, thank you. Thanks for teaching me that. So Mickey, <laughs> if you're listening, thank you. Um, so that was awesome to meet her and to look at your book and talk about it and, and talk about Jolene and told her that she was coming on the show today. So it's going to be cool. But why don't you, do, did you have anything um, to share about your awesome week last week? You oh, you know, I just went and saw some music. That's all, really. Um, in a play. Oh, my God. Last week was actually kind of busy. Like a lot of getting out of the house mm-hmm. and being amongst the people, which is good. I need to do more than more of that. But, yeah, I went to see a middle school play, my son's old uh, middle school that he graduated from last year had their big spring play and we went to see that and um yeah I saw uh, St. Vincent who uh, I'm completely infatuated with her I have been for a little while and <laughs> I bought the tickets for my husband for Christmas which oh, is kind of funny how because nice of you <laughs> I know right <laughs> present for you and present nice. for me <laughs> And, um, but he was excited. He was, he was equally as excited, I would say. And he was pleasantly surprised. He probably wasn't as big of a fan as me, but, um, he is now, he's a huge fan now because she put on such a great show. She's a total babe. And she looked like a total babe. Oh, she's a complete babe. And she is a great musician and she's very, she's very like Annie Lennox, David Bowie, Prince, like they all, if you squeeze them all together and, and she would be the result. She looks a little bit like the girl in Amelie. Uh, oh, uh, Amelie. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. So throw her in you're there right. Combo. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Um, great show. And then the next night I went to see, uh, some cover bands. I went to see a joy division cover band and then that followed by a new order cover band. And I was just dying. It was so fun, Aww. but we took my son and, uh, cause it was an all ages show and, and my daughter had a sleepover. So it was perfect. We took him and it was, it's a music venue, but it's a bar and it used to be a bar and it used to be a bar that I drank at a whole lot <laughs> in the, mm, late nineties, early two thousands. And so anyway, went back to the scene of the crime, (laughs) um, scene of one of the crimes, but, uh, with my kid, with my kid, it was great. It was really fun. We drank Topo Chico's and just totally, I just danced my ass off. It was so fun. Oh my God. Anyway. And so that means you were out past like eight o'clock. For two, yeah. Two nights in a row. Isn't (laughs) that crazy? Have you been resting up since then? Yeah, yeah. You need to replenish after all of that. All the peopling, I have to like replenish. Like I need a full day of rest after all the peopling. Yeah, it was a lot of that, but it was good. Good. I I went to a workshop last weekend in San Francisco, and I shared this on my Instagram stories. But it was it was a workshop with Lada. I said Jan's daughter, but her name is Lada Yan's daughter. Oh, I've always said Jan's daughter. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. She told us a lot of stuff. Like, Lada's not even her real name. Uh, Charlotte is her real name. And and Jan's daughter is not her last name. Mm. It's uh, her father is Jan, and she is his daughter. So it's Jan's daughter. 
that's she just made up her own name. Yeah, that's so cool. she told us a lot of secrets, <laughs> you know, like her sewing books that she makes. She doesn't sew really, so um, that was interesting. She's just worked with an, a Japanese pattern designer, and she did the patterns, and and the person helped her write the book, and uh, she's really transparent about everything. She's like the Japanese were just fascinated with me, so they kept proposing all these projects. And she's like, and if I liked them, we did them. And if I didn't, we went back to the drawing board. So there was a, um, but how she started, which was interesting, Sandra, which I wanted to share with you, because I know you make your own cards to put in with your wares that you sell, that you sell. Um, she made her own business card out of a piece of cardboard and she Mm -hmm. did screen printing and, um, or a potato print or whatever she made. Mm -hmm. She made her business card out of that piece of cardboard and would hand them out to people. Mm-hmm. And a Japanese um, woman liked it and contacted her and said, could we meet? And um, I like your business card. Do you think you can make some postcards like this? She was like, hmm. I think so. Sure. You know, it's just a piece of cardboard. And uh, that she got from a restaurant that she was working at that used to hold like the napkins. And when the napkins were used, there was these end pieces that were pieces of cardboard that she just took. And she started making things with. So it's just like how it organically started. And she sewed like nine of her screen printed designs and made pillows, nine pillows, and sold it to a store in San Francisco. And they liked them. And like, and that's how she started. And it was just really kind of neat and fun to hear her story um, of how she's grown. And right now she's kind of, she didn't use the word downsizing, but she's um, scaling back and kind of looking at her life. She's 46. And she says, like, how do I want to spend my time? Who do I yeah. want to work with? Uh, if mm-hmm. this person is a pain with licensing, if this rug company, if I'm only making 2%, why am I spending all this energy doing that? I don't care if my designs are all over the world. I like to make my designs. I want them in homes, but not at the expense of my health and of my time and my happiness. And so it was a really good, good day um, at her workshop, which I normally would have been totally freaked out. You know, um, I had, I sat right in front next to her we chatted but I usually get really a lot of anxiety about these things and I was in pretty good shape and um, on the way to the city I was talking to our friend Natalie and she was on the freeway next to me in the carpool lane and she's like look to your left (laughs) oh that's funny she was going to the city to meet our friend Sasha Corrales who's been on the show they were going to a gem show and I couldn't go because I was going to this other workshop and so I ended up following her into the city on the freeway, just talking on the phone. <laughs> it's like I had That's an escort. So and then when it was all over, her and Sasha were still in the city. So they're like, meet us at this coffee place. So I did. And the coffee place was closing and kicking them out. So we sat in my car for like an hour and just laughed our asses off and talked about dreaming and building things and making workshops and just like really awesome, really awesome time. So the whole day was... Excellent. You were missed. You were disgust. And um, I was disgust. I like to be disgust. <laughs> how awesome you are and how why don't you live closer and all that. So that was good. That was really good. Um, so I know this is a long intro, but I have one more thing I got to share. Okay. Um, this week I went to buy a car and uh-huh. I went and I have a lot of um, – I mean, I haven't bought a car in a really, really long time. My car is 18 years old. 
And I told my husband that I thought I could buy this car pretty quickly if I just did everything over the phone or over the internet. And he was like, um, I don't really think that's how it works. Like, you have to go spend a couple hours there. Mm-hmm. And my friend Natalie said the same thing. She was like, no, it's, it's a couple hour process. I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to buy a car if it takes that long. Like, I don't want to do it. So I went in and test drove the car and kind of got dismissed by the guy. I don't know if he thought it was serious or whatever. And um, I wrote a nice email yesterday morning, and I just said to the lady who had taken my intake information, I just said, I didn't feel like anybody was very eager to help me, and I'm willing to buy a car today, which is the last day of the month, which I've been told is the best day to buy a car is on the last day of the month. Mm -hmm. And um, I talked, the sales manager called me and wanted to know what the problem was, and I told her what happened. And it just felt dismissed, and they were asking about my husband, and was, was my husband going to help me do this? And it just, I don't know, it felt weird. Just, it just didn't sit right. And they bent over backwards, did everything over the phone, and I went in last night, Sandra, and literally it took nine minutes from start to finish to buy that car. Oh, wow. Like, they had done everything from what I emailed them. And the, one guy made a phone call with me yesterday while I was in class, and I talked the finance guy, and that took about five minutes. And... I went in and I signed everything and I drove home with a new car last night. How awesome. And I did a, Steve stopped by earlier in the day to sign some paperwork. So it took him t- about 10 minutes too. And then I came home. I was home within an hour of leaving school, buying a car and getting home. And I live like a half an hour away from town. And I was like, that just showed me like I, it can be done. And that I did it by myself, not with my husband present, you know, I mean, even though he went and signed things, but it was like this thing I wanted to do. And if I couldn't do it or if they weren't going to make it happen, like I was just going to walk away and my car's fine and I could keep it. But I came home really proud of myself because I would not have done that. I would have not done that before. You should be proud of yourself. I've never bought a car ever. I've never had to buy a car because my dad was a, a car buyer Ah, (laughs) was the car buyer like that was his business you know he was officially yeah right 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 and so whenever I needed a car I'm my dad you know so that's just what he did it's so funny that just he's telling that story just made me think of that that's what he did and and in a couple of weeks actually in a week in two weeks will be um the third three-year anniversary of his death mm. and um but then you know just I guess my husband took over that job I don't know it's kind of one of those things where I think I am I missing out on something you know like I, there hasn't been a need for me to go out and buy a car yeah <laughs> no I don't think you're missing out on it but I wonder if I could do it I'm sure I could I'm sure yeah. I could go buy a car yeah of course you can well, Subaru had this thing for the month of February. So last night was the last night of the month, right? The 28th. And it was 0% financing, zero down. And so, and I didn't have a trade-in. So, I mean, it, it couldn't have been simpler from their standpoint. I already agreed on the price of the car because I did it over the internet and they knocked down a couple thousand dollars. And I'm like, this is our lowest we can go. I'm like, great, I'll take that. So it, I went and test drove it and I was like, great, I'll take this. And the guy that took me out on a drive, he he was not the closer. Let's just say that. That's I'm not going to get into the details of it because whatever. He just, he let me go. And I was like, well, yeah. what do I need to do? And he's like, well, you got to come in tomorrow and you got to, it's going to take like two to three hours. And I was like, I don't have two to three hours tomorrow. And I really physically did not have two to three hours. Yeah. And so um, 
And he's like, well, that's how it's done. I go, okay, give me my paperwork back and I'll leave. And so I did. But gosh, they were on it the next morning. That dealership was calling me after my email. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, they don't normally let you go. They let you let you leave that that easily. They were so <laughs> nice. They were so nice. So I, what I do want to say, like they were excellent, and um, they knew that I didn't want to waste any time. There was nothing to, you know. It was just a really simple deal. Yeah. So, um, you have a person well, who's willing to buy a car and not negotiate the price, like let's just do this. Like there's. Well, and then the moral of the story really is, I think we overthink most things Mm -hmm. and most things are overwrought and overdone when it could just be this really simple little exchange. And so (laughs) it was. And so I have a new car and I'm very excited. And that is um, very exciting. It feels, uh, it feels good. So thanks for letting me share that. That's a long intro because I know we have a really action packed, uh, action packed, but we have a lot of information packed into this next interview that we're doing. Yes, we have a, we are bringing you guys such a great interview today. So get your journal and get a pen because you're going to want to take notes, (laughs) but, um, Today we have on Jolene Park, and if you don't know Jolene, through social media, she is a functional nutritionist, health coach, and trauma-informed yoga instructor. She founded her consulting company, Healthy Discoveries, in 2001 and has worked as a corporate wellness consultant, speaker, and workshop facilitator since 2004. Jolene also coaches and works with individuals one-on-one who want to eliminate their cravings by using real food, high quality nutrients and cutting edge mind body techniques. Yeah. And I got to meet Jolene a few weeks back at a workshop she did here locally and she was an absolute delight. And so I totally wanted to have her on the phone, Uh, on the phone, on the pod. (laughs) Told you I was without words. (laughs) Sorry. Um, But Jolene is also the co-host and maybe many of you know her that she co-hosts Editing Our Drinking and Our Lives podcast, and she co-hosts that with Aiden Donnelly Rowley. And it's an empowering conversation about breaking the stigma and shame around quitting drinking. In 2017, she gave a TEDx talk about gray area drinking, where she shares her personal alcohol and anxiety story, along with the importance of replenishing our neurotransmitters and nourishing our nervous system in a comprehensive, consistent, and healthy way. And we touch on that a lot in this um, podcast, so you're going to get a lot of good information from her. That's why we suggest the notebook and a pen. Um, But regardless of which um, vice or behavior you use, Jolene shares practical resources to help manage the anxiety in your body and the discomfort in your life. And I just loved our conversation. I loved it. And if you haven't seen her TEDx talk, yeah. list, please listen to it. It's only 15 minutes before or after this podcast. If you just Google Jolene Park TEDx talk, it comes right up. Yeah. It's excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And we talk a lot about midlife and hormones and we just hit it all today. And she just is a wealth of information and a really smart kind person so she's in our unruffled um facebook group as well and she's doing great things and has a lot of new offerings that she'll share about too so we hope you enjoy it yes enjoy jolene welcome to the show jolene Thanks, Tammy. Hi, Sandra. It's great Hi, to be here. Hi, Jolene. <laughs> I love how we get to have a little love fest here. We've all kind of interacted separately, right? Together, <laughs> online, in person for me, 
Sandra, I think you and Jolene have chatted, yeah? Yeah, we have Skyped before when I had my my meltdown last year. <laughs> Jolene came to my rescue. Aww. Oh, it's it's great to be here. I just mentioned before we, we hit the record, um, I feel kind of kindred spirits with you both because I think all three of us are about the same age. And, um, and I think we all decided to quit drinking around around the same time, if I remember our stories correctly. So it's it, I've been looking forward to talking with you both. Aw. Well, let's let's get everybody up to speed who's listening, because we feel like we have a, um, a really awesome audience. And so I'm 47. Sandra? Yeah, I'm 48. I'll be actually I'll be 49 in June. And um hopefully we'll be sober on uh again uh in july and i will have four years of sobriety in july so nice and what about you jolene and i am 47 i turned 47 in december and i have three years and three months of no alcohol awesome yeah and i'm i just hit three years so yeah we all are right around that same time yeah. yeah, yeah, it's fun. We're you know we're all in different states and different areas, but um, yeah, kind of similar similar timelines with with age and and drinking. Well, I think I, I first I don't think I know I heard your story first on the home podcast, and then yeah. I heard when you came back on the home podcast and did another one, which was so lovely and brave of you um, to do. Do you feel like that kind of kicked things up a notch for you in terms of like? being out about this kind of stuff and talking about it or most definitely yeah. <laughs> most definitely that yeah that interview really um you know holly and laura have have such a big audience and so that was such a wonderful opportunity and so grateful to both of them for having me on but um yeah as far as visibility and kind of other women in our age group with with this same drinking story um all of a sudden you know everybody kind of knew about me after that interview yeah. Right. And were you talking about it before, like through your blog or, or any other social media? I, you know, I was talking a little bit on Instagram, um, and, and I had written, you know, a blog post like women and alcohol and kind of, kind of from that perspective. But as far as, you know, like my story, the way that I told it on the home podcast, I, I had not, that was, that was really my coming out. Um, and, you know, I had a lot of nerves about that and, and even some tears <laughs> going into it. So um, I'm so glad I did it and, and oh, the community that it opened up to, to be part of. But, um, you know, the vulnerability hangovers, those it, it's not easy to initially first tell your story publicly. Yeah. And especially being a healthcare provider like you like you were. I mean, you already had your did you already have you already had healthy discoveries? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I, I started my consulting company in 2001 and, um, and it became, you know, my full-time kind of day job in 2004. And so had been working, teaching corporate wellness classes for many, many years. And, um, you know, and that's where the drinking story was, was woven into that and, and didn't talk about that. Um, and, yeah, so healthy discoveries has has been been kind of part of my story and my trajectory, but it wasn't until has it been a year and a half now? Year and a half that it all kind of came together. And and it's interesting because when I spoke publicly, especially in that interview, um who I hear from the most, you know, I hear from many many high achieving women, but I hear the most from other women who are coaches, therapists, nurses, social workers, um, 
physician assistants, naturopaths, acupuncturists. So many have resonated saying, I'm in the healthcare industry too, and and I am worrying about my drinking. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. when, when, you, um, when you were talking about your drinking, and I know you just did a TEDx talk, which I want to talk about as well, about how you prepared for that, like the creative component to that. But I, but initially, I wanted to talk, if you could share with our listeners, you've kind of, um, I've heard you and others coin the phrase gray area drinking. Can you share with our listeners, like what your drinking look like? Um, you know, just kind of give them a little bit of a background if they're not familiar with your work and kind of what drove you to the decision to kind of remove it from your life. Sure, sure. So kind of the quick timeline, you know, overarching story of, of me and alcohol. Um, I think I'm a little different um, from, from a lot of people, but I, but I think it's important to note um, because I don't think that there's any particular way this, you know, always looks. And, um, and so I'm very passionate about kind of breaking some of the stigma around it. And so, you know, in the early days, I wasn't a big drinker. Um, in high school and college, um, wh- which I know isn't necessarily always, you know, the typical typical component. But my drinking um, in my late twenties, early thirties is when it picked up. And um, for me, my, my story really begins in my late twenties. Um, I went through a breakup, and it was significant. I was really emotionally distraught over it, and um, kind of brought me to my knees. And I feel like at that time, um, that's when alcohol kind of synced up for, you know, chemically, (laughs) um, where I was like, why have I not been doing this before? I really liked it. Um, And and I I find that um, when I talk with clients and, and talk with many others that often that's a key part of the story, that there's been some sort of transition, some sort of heightened emotional intensity. Um, around grief or loss or really, um, you know, heightened pain of something that's happening. So a breakup, a divorce, um, working in the corporate world, then stopping to go home and and be with kids, having kids, um, kids leaving the home, that emptiness. So there, there's there's that transition where um, things change, and then alcohol seems to to ramp up of of how we as women use it. And I was also you know, part of my story is the anxiety, which I've spoken about a lot too. So um, pretty, pretty anxious person throughout my childhood, throughout um, kind of the early part of my life, and didn't really know how to manage that anxiety. So early on, um, sugar and food was was kind of my go to. But in my late 20s, after that breakup, um, drank during that time. And it was very conscious of I'm going to sit here and drink this bottle of wine. And I loved it. It was mm-hmm. like, it just numbed it and it stopped it. Kind of that, that emotion pain, the emotional pain I was in, the anxiety, the grief. And I really feel like it lit up kind of the circuits in, um, you know, this is the stuff now that I do is, is this whole neurochemistry and neurotransmitter work that my body was like, this is a really good match. Keep doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's where the slippery slope happens. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people who who drink and they don't necessarily drink under that heightened emotional intensity. But when we do, and life can have heightened emotional intensity, it's just life. When we add alcohol to that, we're on a slippery slope pretty quickly. It's kind of like throwing gasoline on the fire. So um, so that that's um, kind of how my drinking started was in my late 20s. 
and um, continued kind of that way as like the way to downshift and let off steam, kind of just numb um, after the end of the day type thing through my 30s and then really escalated in my late 30s into my early 40s right before I quit, which was also that window of wanting to have kids and wanting to have a family, which was kind of that initial pain <laughs> going mm-hmm. back to, you know, the relationship stuff. So, and we can talk more about that because I, I think the hormone piece really plays into it, but, but that's my overarching story of where alcohol came in and, and about the 15 year ride with it of when it was in my life. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's why we always say it works. It, it, it works until it stops working or until or until we stop it before it stops working, like maybe mm-hmm. you had the opportunity to do. Um, but yeah, it definitely, um, it definitely does the job. It does. It does. You know, the, the initial effects are positive. And, and Gaber Mate, who's a medical doctor who works a lot with addiction and trauma in Canada, and um, one of has been an influential teacher to me. Um, and, and that's one of his big points that he always drives home is, is that, you know, the initial effect, whatever it is, um, whatever people are using, sugar or um, cigarettes or alcohol or excessive exercise or, you know, whatever the vice or the behavior, the initial effect is positive. It gives relief. It um, relieves some pain. Um, it, you know, it feels like a stress reliever. It, it enables a, a sense of relaxation short term. But but that short term does feel positive. Long term, as we know, there's lots of problems that come. But but that's what's hard when, when we start associating, um, you know, pain pain relief and pleasure and relaxation and and fun with the vice or the behavior, and there's nothing else in place. Right. It's hard then to to completely take it out. Well, I think um, for me, like what you're saying, that all makes perfect sense. And I can hear the words that you're saying and I can connect it all now. <laughs> when I was drinking, I, I, there's just no way that I could have connected all that because I didn't give much thought to it. Like it just once I started, I just it was that's what I do. And, and you just made me remember, like my drinking started after my divorce to my first husband when I was 27. So for 20 years or less than 20 years, I, that was the solution, right? That was, that's going to make me feel good. I'm making up for lost time. I never drank when I was younger. So now I got some catching up to do, but being kind of sober and not drinking now, like we get to examine our lives. We get to examine where we're at. And, and of course, that goes along with being midlife. Like, that's kind of just a natural thing that we do. So I would love if you could talk a little bit more about, yeah, you were talking about hormones and um, becoming, you know, our age. We're in our 40s. And when all of this is kind of happening, can you share some stuff with our listeners that might help make more sense of what they might be going through? Sure. And just as you were kind of sharing, again, I just hear that pattern so often of, you know, again, it was after the divorce, after the miscarriage or, you know, whatever. Um, And then I just realized I didn't really address, you asked about gray area (laughs) drinking. So let me, let me circle, go back to that and then we'll go into hormones. But, um, you know, the gray area. So through this, I, um, I would read the memoirs, like, you know, drinking a love story, which I love. It's amazing writing and an amazing story. But um, is it is it Carolyn Knapp? Carolyn Knapp. Uh-huh. Carolyn Knapp. Um, but I didn't identify totally with her drinking. Um, 
she, she, you know, compared to me, it was much more excessive yet. It didn't mean that I, I wasn't struggling and, mm-hmm. and had this angst about it. And, you know, was Saturday morning was like Googling Amazon books <laughs> about women and drinking. And, um, but you know, I would find a lot similar to drinking a love story and I loved them, but, um, but I was searching for more of like kind of my story and I hadn't really heard it. And that's some of that, um, you know, what, what we talk about is like the gray area and my podcast co-host Aiden Donnelly Raleigh, um, she was really the first one that, that started blogging and using that, that word gray area. Um, and the, the way I think of it is, you know, I wasn't a drinker who would drink every now and again. So I didn't like go to a wedding, have one glass of champagne to toast and then not drink again for weeks. That wasn't mm-hmm. the kind of drinker I was, but I also wasn't, um, you know, the kind of drinker where I couldn't physically stop. I, I stopped many times. I would do like a, a, I'd get to the point of where I'm, I'm sick of feeling so sick after drinking too much that I, I just feel like I'm just done and I wouldn't drink for 30 days or so I, I did, you know, I, I was able to stop. Um, and I didn't have, you know, and everybody always tells me this when, when we, um, do kind of an initial like coaching session, um, I hear these words all the time and they say, I function really well. And I'm like, I know, I, I hear that all the time, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then they follow it with like, I don't have a DUI. I've never gotten a DUI. I've never. And so kind of those, um, those stereotypical things, most people don't have, um, you, you know, and again, th- there's no kind of typical story, but, but um, I didn't either. I didn't have any of what we start to associate of like, I lost a job or I got a DUI or any of that, but it didn't mean that I, I wasn't struggling and wrestling with this and liking the relief that it gave, but hating the effect <laughs> that mm-hmm. I, that I always felt the next day and, and wanting the effect, but not wanting to feel, you know, it was just this back and forth for years. And, and that's what I call, um, and, you know, Aiden talks about as, as the gray area, um, and there's, there's just so many, you know, just look around, um, the suburbs of, you know, mm-hmm. I've had clients tell me they're like, the weekends are just like college, you know, it's like, whose house are we going to whose backyard the kids come, but you know, it's, we're wheeling the, the beer coolers down to, you know, the next door neighbors. Um, it's mm-hmm. the book clubs, it's the, the mommy and wine, which, you know, all three of us know is, is such a, a problem right now with the memes and, and, and then we, we just kind of turn a blind eye to it. But mm-hmm. it's all around us. And um, so that's the gray area where it's not every now and again. It's not necessarily a hard, low rock bottom, but it doesn't mean that it's not this internal struggle and problem. Mm-hmm. I say that all the time. You know, my drinking, if I compared it to my friends uh, drinking, which I did all the time, um, it looked the same, but yet... I was the one who was miserable. Now, I can't really speak for them, but they didn't appear miserable like me. And they didn't appear to have this internal struggle with it or this existential angst about it like I did. And so um, I, I completely identify with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I do too. I, you know, I have a social group where, where I could say, I, you know, I don't drink as much as, as 90% of them but I still had that, that internal struggle. And, and we, we just don't talk, you know, where, where do you talk about it? it? When you, when you have that, this isn't working, but then what, 
Like there right. isn't kind of a place to have the conversation or to talk about it. So just because the conversation isn't happening doesn't mean that people aren't having the internal struggle. We just don't talk about it. Right. Because if you try and talk about it with your drinking friends, then all of a sudden you become a mirror to them, you know, and then they're questioning themselves. Like, well, are you saying that I'm drinking too much? <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah. it's very, very hard to have the conversation. You're the killjoy. <laughs> exactly. It's, you know, it's like now everybody has to examine their drinking. Oh, great. Thanks, party pooper. Um, you know, so it, it is, it's so hard to have the conversation. That's why your work with your podcast with Aiden and, and your TEDx talk is just so, so important. Thank yeah. you. And that's, that, that's something I'm really passionate about. Again, going back to, you know, years ago of, I was seeking that kind of voice and, and I, I didn't necessarily, you know, it's just like, I, I'm just looking for another story. Um, and I couldn't find it. And so it's not that I think everybody needs to stop drinking. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think we need to go back to prohibition, but, but my passion and, and, you know, interest in really using my voice at this point is for the, the many, many out there who are in that place now to be able to hear that voice that I wanted to hear so many years ago. Yeah. Do you think that by, um, I think, that phrase gray area drinking is like a soft entry. Uh, I think it is more appealing to people than using the a word, right? Like I feel like it's, um, it's, it's, and it's, a, it's a, it's a way for women to identify and not have, because there's such a stigma around being called or using the word alcoholic. And, um, I like to, to just say that I drank alcoholically cause I did, <laughs> you know, I drank a lot. And, um, but I feel like the gray area drinking is, is like a wider swath that women can go, yeah, you know what, that I identify with, like that rings true to me. And, um, have you found that like that, that feels softer for people or that they can, they can hear your work or because of that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I totally agree. You know, language is powerful. And, and I think that's a part of breaking this whole stigma and kind of shaking the paradigm of, um, I also don't identify with the label alcoholic. Um, I, although I know without a shadow of a doubt that alcohol is a problem for me, no mm -hmm. question. Um, so, you know, I, I language it that way of alcohol is a problem. And, um, you know, I, I chose to stop drinking and, you know, I've, I've gone alcohol free. So that's kind of how I, I language it versus alcoholic addict. Um, you know, some of, some of those other words. I, somebody actually commented on one of the Facebook threads when my um, TEDx video was really kind of going around Facebook when the video first came out. And somebody made that comment saying she, she's just denying <laughs> that, yeah. that she's an alcoholic. Um, I, I mean, fine. I mean, uh, that's why I quit. You know, right. I, well, I was going to say, perhaps if you kept drinking, and I mean, this is a projection, but it, it, perhaps if you kept drinking, the you, you progressively would have maybe taken on that label. Right. Right. So. And I, I knew that, you know, uh, that's the thing that I knew in my bones. I felt like I was like the sands had run out of the hourglass. Mm -hmm. um, and again, there was nothing kind of external where people were looking at me saying, you've, you've gotten to a real problem point externally, but internally I felt like I was sitting on a bit of a ticking time bomb. Um, with that. So again, you know, language, semantics, different, and I, I totally, you know, I know some people, um, it's very freeing and, um, to, to, to say I'm an alcoholic. 
Um, for me, I just, um, you know, language different. Alcohol is absolutely a problem for me. Um, I know if I drank again, I know exactly where I would be, how quickly and do not want to go back there. For sure. For sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think I think the really beautiful thing that I found in recovery and doing this type of work that we're doing or talking about or having these conversations is that the big aha moment I had, which I did not have at the beginning, by the way, (laughs) but just recently just going and I know it'll grow, but just that we get to design our life, we get to call ourselves whatever the heck we want to call ourselves. We get to go to the workshops we want to go to. We get to grab this tool and that tool. That is that is powerful to me. I didn't feel that way before, you know, and it's as, as the longer that I don't drink, the more that power kind of grows, right? And so, yeah, I think saying whatever word you need to say, um, but I think like from, from watching your TED Talk and seeing you in person at your Craving Brain workshop, like I feel like it's very um, accessible and it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. You have the science behind it. And I felt, I felt like a nice sigh of relief when I was in your workshop. I was like, this is great because you had so many different people in that room when they introduced themselves. And it was really, um, it was really nice to see who was attracted to your work. Well, thank you. Thank you. You know, and that's another one of my, um, you know, real beliefs around this is no one's immune. (laughs) Um, -hmm. and, and, and this, it's, you know, this thing of like those people over there who, you know, can't handle alcohol or, um, if it's not alcohol, it's sugar. If it's not sugar, it could be, you know, this obsession about, about calories and dieting and, and exercise or, um, you know, something or, or pot or another, um, you know, like painkiller or something. And so we, we, when we really kind of strip it down, um, when we get squeezed, there's something that we all um, resonate towards. And that's brain chemistry. That's where it's really interesting to me of like, why do some people reach for uh, tobacco? Whereas other people, their thing is more sugar. And, um, and it's not a shame and blame. It's, it's how interesting what's happening in your body right now um, of where kind of the depletion is showing up when stress happens. And you're instinctively, very brilliantly reaching for the substance or the behavior to boost that chemical that got depleted. Um, and so I, I think it's, you know, fascinating, um, not shameful. And then everybody has um, the spectrum of kind of how they use and, you know, progress. But it's not about being perfect. It's not about, um, you know, those people who can't handle their lives. Um, life is hard. I mean, all we have to do is just look at the current media or, you know, current kind of argument on Facebook. The day-to-day kind of modern life can be very dysregulating and very anxiety-provoking. And and to act like, you know, we're just sliding through it and then those people over there can't handle it, it we need to knock that off. Right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But I have to tell you, that's the attitude that I always had. I thought that there was just something wrong with me in particular. Why can't I handle my booze? So um, anyway, thank you for saying that because it's, it's true. Um, uh, Let's, let's um, circle back then about the hormonal component. Um, Yes. Sorry. I got really excited. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. My hormones. (laughs) <laughs> Go ahead. I'm going to let you lead this, Sandra. Just, 
Jolene, can you just talk about the specific negative effects that drinking has on women in midlife? Because we are going through all of these hormonal changes. Yeah, I'm so glad you guys want to talk about this. So when when you'd asked me on and, and kind of sent me some of the overview questions, I was like, oh, this is, I love talking about this. And, and it's, um, yeah, it's a fun piece. Um, and it's really part of my story is when my drinking for me really amped up was 38 to 43. I quit when I was 43 years old. Um, and my, my client base is kind of 35 to 55. And, and there's, there's something to this and, you know, it's women and it's that perimenopausal time. So there, there's that time of really kind of 10 to 15 years, um, before we stop bleeding, you know, for that full year that then is official menopause. But, um, but we lead up to that, uh, for, for many, many years and, um, hormone shift and, and physiology changes and, um, as progesterone drops and estrogen drops and different things, um, you know, some of the major symptoms that come are insomnia and anxiety. And there's things we can do about it. And I'm happy to talk about that. But just knowing and women kind of haven't been told that, um, especially the connection with neurotransmitters. So every neurotransmitter, um, you know, and that's what I focused on in my TED talk. I only had 15 minutes. It was so hard to narrow down like exactly what I want to laser in on for that talk but there's so much behind it. And um, with every neurotransmitter, there's a connection with a hormone. So the um, GABA is very much connected with progesterone and serotonin is connected with estrogen and dopamine is connected to cortisol. And um, so for me, you know, there was the emotional stuff going on of that window of if I'm going to have kids and kind of have that traditional family, like this is the window. Um, of course you can have kids past 43, but you know, and, and I wasn't kind of being honest about that and really like languaging it, but my body knew, and I was pissed and Mm -hmm. I was sad about it and I was in grief about it and had rage of like, why didn't this happen for me? And, you know, I say that now, like, it's like, yeah, that's what was going on. But I, I couldn't kind of just be honest like that when I was 39, um, it hurts. And so what I did was I drank. So there's that emotional component that, um, you know, there's emotions. I, I think as we get into more of this perimenopausal time, um, the body knows and it's harder to stuff it, but also just physiologically going on, you know, I am a low GABA person, um, because of kind of my history with anxiety. And so when GABA is low, we feel more anxious, but if GABA goes low, progesterone tends to go low mm-hmm. and, um, hormones are major, major hitters. So a, a big symptom of low progesterone is insomnia and anxiety. And so we can talk about GABA, but, uh, you know, to, to really be comprehensive and look at the whole picture, it's important to, to look at the hormones. Um, and then the depression piece can be connected with low estrogen And then dopamine, you know, I see this so much of some, like some of the alcohol free Facebook groups and people will post and they'll say, I'm 60 days, you know, no alcohol, but I'm exhausted. My Mm -hmm. energy is just, you know, is this normal? I'm so tired or however many days or weeks out from not drinking. And that's that dopamine connection with cortisol, the adrenals. So, um, when dopamine's low, our cortisol tends to get lower. That's, um, the adrenal function. 
and fatigue and we just don't feel good and it doesn't feel good to not feel good. And a lot of that's happening as we're drinking in our 30s, 40s, 50s, but we're drinking so much and kind of medicating it and not seeing where it's like, oh my gosh, the adrenals are just so depleted right now. Hormones are, you know, depleted and deficient and we're self-medicating. It's working initially, but um, I think we need to talk more about the root of that and how we can really support women because it doesn't feel good to be anxious. It doesn't feel good to have insomnia. And, um, you know, you can listen to all the, the um, sleep meditations in the world and and do a journaling practice at nine o'clock at night. But if progesterone's low, it's kind of like saying to a diabetic who has really low or elevated insulin, sit and listen to this meditation. They can listen to it. it it's, it's, of course, helpful, but it's not going to make their body make more insulin. Right. Yeah. And I really relate to what you talked about. And you talked about it in your TEDx talk, too, about the dopamine um, factor and how alcohol and I really noticed this as I got older because when I was younger of course you know you drink you got up you can you could get up in the morning and kind of shake it off but the older I got the harder it was to shake it off and of course we I kept drinking but in the evening um, alcohol would give me a little boost of energy to kind of push through the rest of the night. And, um, so I guess that was my, that was the dopamine hit that I was looking for. It was. And, um, and I love how you have this intuitive sense because you're absolutely right. It's dopamine, but really underneath it is cortisol. So alcohol always releases cortisol in the body because it, the body sees it as a poison. It is a poison. Like chemically, the chemical structure, this isn't my moral opinion. Right. <laughs> the, the, the chemical structure when you go into a lab with alcohol is ethanol. It's gasoline. And so when we put gasoline, like we could go to the shell station and fill up a cup with gasoline out of the tank and drink it. It's, it's not good. It's not safe. It's, but it's, it's not going to out and out harm us. I used to work at the Rocky Mountain Poison Center. I, um, before I started corporate wellness, I was um, in line to go to nursing school. So I'd done all my pre-nursing prerequisites and I was on the wait list because there were so many people at that time waiting to get in. So I was working at the poison center where, you know, we get the calls of drug overdose and, and um, people accidentally swallow bleach or, you know, whatever. And mm -hmm. people would often call because they accidentally swallowed gasoline. Like they're trying to um, you know, siphon it and then they would oh. drink it. Oh, it, it would, right. so it'd be like, oh my God, I swallowed some. And it was always like, you're fine. Drink a glass of water, you know, just um, rinse your mouth out. Like it's fine. <laughs> so we can drink gasoline. But the, the thing at the poison center was always like, do not, you know, if you aspirate it, that's a real problem. If it, you can't get it in the lungs, but it can go into the stomach. We do it all the time. That's what we're drinking with beer and wine. And, <laughs> you know, it's an <laughs> ethanol structure. Um, but when we do that, the body's like, this is ethanol. This is really stressful. This should not be here. <laughs> this chemical structure, we don't want it in the body. So the body releases all this cortisol as, to, as in kind of to bring down the inflammation, bring down that toxic chemical molecular structure of the ethanol. So um, you're exactly right, Sandra, of in the evening, we drink, and especially with hormones, the more dopamine starts to go down, and as into perimenopause, our cortisol goes down, and then we get that cortisol hit. 
and it mm-hmm. kind of wakes us up. And I felt that a lot too, like right around 40, like I'd, you know, lay down to go to bed after drinking red wine. And it's like my heart's pounding. Oh, and, pounding. Um, yes. That's cortisol. Wow. And, um, and could not fall asleep or it would mm-hmm. kind of drift to sleep and then like awake at one, two, that's cortisol. In the evening, we want our cortisol levels to go down. Um, and then we want them to come up in the morning. That's the natural rhythm. But alcohol reverses that and it makes cortisol go up because it's giving us the feeling of dopamine, but it really sc- makes hormones start kind of going backwards, not in the forward motion we want them to go. Wow. That is fascinating fascinating. Yeah, it makes that, a lot of sense. Descri- yeah. Oh my gosh. This is going to be so helpful. Um, Jolene, can you just for our listeners, can you let them know what GABA is? Because I learned a lot from your workshop and I've it, it, it helped me understand what it is and, and why we need it and when you should take, you know, like sure. a GABA supplement or something. But go ahead. Can you, can you let them know? Mm-hmm. So, so GABA, we all have. It's, it's a brain chemical that every, every human being has. And um, GABA is there to be the brakes on the nervous system, um, as is serotonin. So it just kind of calms things down, slows things down. We need that. Whereas then dopamine and acetylcholine, I don't talk as much about acetylcholine, but we can. Dopamine and acetylcholine are the gas pedal. So we want an even balance between those four neurotransmitters. So GABA is the natural anti-anxiety neurotransmitter. Um, uh, For a lot of women, their GABA is low, and they then resonate and reach to alcohol because it gives that feeling of GABA within the first 30 minutes, 45 minutes of drinking. It's that like, quick fix. Yeah. Like it just kind of, it's that off switch, which I mentioned Mm -hmm. in my Ted talk, it works within 20 minutes. My, my kind of my worrying, ruminating mind just dials it down like 10 notches. And that's the feeling of GABA. So that's what we're going after because a GABA feeling feels good. But then the irony is when we drink, it depletes GABA even more because the body's like, oh, okay, we're, we're getting kind of this GABA component. I'll just step back here and not make as much GABA, which is mm-hmm. a problem because then it's like now we're not making as much GABA, so then we want, need to drink more alcohol, and it's just a vicious cycle. So <clears throat> – oh, yeah. go ahead. No, I was going to say then it becomes the cycle because then you just you, – you, ha- you need it again the next day. Right, and it's physiology. It's not psychology. Like physiologically, GABA literally is depleted, and it starts to go lower and lower and lower. And um, I heard Dr. Addie Jaffe. Do you guys know who he is? No, I don't think I've heard that name. Um, Annie Grace, um, who wrote *This Naked Mind*, she she does some work with him, and she's she's interviewed him, and and I've heard him say um, he does works with like harm reduction, and he's also done a TED talk around drinking and addiction. But I've heard him say, um, having low GABA in your body is like being in an 18-wheeler semi-truck going down a mountain highway with no brakes. That's physically how it feels. Like if you could imagine being in that semi, no brakes, like physically, it's not a mental thing. Like you're just like, oh shit, you know, of imagine how your body would feel. And that's how we feel um, most days with low GABA. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to not feel good. And we're just trying to make ourselves feel better. So, um, so GABA is the natural anti-anxiety neurotransmitter, um, and alcohol just really depletes it. Wow. That makes that, that truck analogy. Yeah. That, that's an anxiety attack for me. That's, um, that's no breaks, right? Like when I have low GABA, it's, 
that seems like there's none there. And I want to, can I, I'll just say a little yeah. something about sleep here with the progesterone mm. connection. So, um, and I've, exp- this is, I'm not a good sleeper. <laughs> um, sleep is a little bit of my Achilles heel. Um, but, you know, I also know about my GABA and progesterone. So the more they both um, are low, the harder my sleep becomes. And um, they're very connected. So often insomnia for women is low progesterone. The, pr- the one problem, and, you know, and I don't, I haven't talked about this too much, but, but the reality is, um, you know, if people listening to this then run out and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to make an appointment tomorrow and go talk to my doctor. Unfortunately, a lot of doctors um, will poo-poo progesterone and they'll say, I don't measure it. I don't, it's, um, you know, it's not necessary. I, I don't think there's anything to it, which is really unfortunate because it's a major sex hormone. So it can be hard for doctor to find a doctor who, who will work with you on that. If, if you can find one, it's, it's incredibly beneficial. I just taught a Craving Brain workshop this last weekend. And one of the participants, I was talking about this, and she said, I went to a osteopath recently and because um, I couldn't sleep. She's in her 40s. And she quit drinking two years ago. And the doctor um, looked at everything, looked at the neurotransmitters, the hormones, and the woman's like, I, I didn't even realize. And she said, my progesterone came back so low. And she put me on natural progesterone cream. And she's like, I sleep now. And I'm like, wow, it's oh, just I that know. one thing. Yeah. One thing. And, and I'm the same. I do take a bioidentical progesterone cream and it, I, I can sleep. So um, just know that, that if anxiety is in the picture, insomnia is in the picture, I think it's... It, it can be helpful to to check progesterone, but I just put that caution up. It um, a lot of doctors aren't savvy about about working with that, unfortunately. So I, I do recommend the um, Institute of Functional Medicine website, and anybody can go to that website, put in their zip code um, of where they le- live, even if they're you know out of the country, uh, wherever you are in the world, put in the area that you live, and doctors in your area who are medical doctors, naturopaths, doctors of um, osteopathic doctors, acupuncturists. So they've gone to their traditional training, but they have gone on to do functional medicine training. So they would, will be much more apt to have these conversations with you around hormones. What was that again? Institute of Functional? In, Institute medicine. of Functional Medicine. Medicine. Yeah. Thank I'm you, Joel. notes. I'm this taking... is so good. <laughs> I am too. And then, and then one other thing that I want to want to say on this, it's very general, but I find that um, that it can be true. So when it's just kind of like a little self-test for sleep, um, if people take Benadryl and it puts them to sleep and it works, you know, if it's just like, I can't sleep, I can't sleep, but get up and take two Benadryl or whatever, and it knocks me out. Um, and then if you wake up feeling okay, like you're not groggy or, you know, feel okay with that, probably another indicator that your progesterone's low because when progesterone, see everything in the body is always, you know, it's like potassium and sodium want to stay in balance and our acid alkaline wants to stay in balance. And so everything's always working to stay in balance. Um, Progesterone and GABA are two things that are in, in that seesaw, but progesterone and histamine are two things in that seesaw. So if progesterone goes down histamine tends to go up. And this is that histamine flush. So when we drink, like our neck and our face get that red flush, that means we're having a histamine response. When histamine, when we have a high histamine level, which actually is kind of, is another neurotransmitter component, but when histamine's high, 
we feel agitated. So Sandra, what you were saying about in the evening, kind mm-hmm. of that, like your heart's pounding, that can also be histamine. And when histamine's up, we can't sleep. It's like cortisol. So we take an antihistamine. It brings the histamine down, um, which, you know, again, probably means progesterone is already down, but then it puts us to sleep. And that's why Benadryl works. Some people will take Benadryl and they're like, it doesn't work. And I feel gross and it doesn't, I feel groggy. And progesterone's probably not um, your, the biochemical leak that's happening. But if Benadryl works for you, just another um, piece in the puzzle that progesterone could be the missing piece. Mm, so interesting. Wow. That's, that's really, really, that's so helpful. I mean, at least these kind of, this kind of conversation gives you a place to start when you have questions for your doctor or healthcare provider. Yeah. And again, this is what I'm so passionate about of physiology. Um, it, it's fascinating. The body is this fascinating machine and mechanism that minute to minute is just working to keep us alive and, um, and fighting against it. And, um, kind of not, you know, all of these little symptoms that are happening um, are, are telling us something. It's just kind of understanding how to interpret it. Right. <laughs> being a bit of the body whisperer, which, um, you know, after a while working in, um, you know, this area, you, you see patterns, like these things repeat themselves over and over. So symptoms will start to line up. Um, people will go have their blood tests and it correlates, it, it mm. confirms it, but right. it isn't all just kind of this like unknown, it must just be me. Something's wrong with me. It's like, no, when you really kind of go through people's stories and histories and, and do that intake, which also with a lot of doctors, you, you know, you're getting all of seven minutes. So it's hard to really get into those, those intakes. But when you really f- start following the threads, um, the body, the, the body, you know, ha, has a direct message and, and we can start to see it, what it's saying to us. Well, and the beauty of being sober through all of this is that you can actually hear your body. You, you can hear your body more clear than I, I know that I could when I was drinking. It was all very muddy. Yeah, that was something I remember a, about 12 months in of, you know, I hit my year mark and it was like, oh. I feel like my intuition's back. Yes, exactly. And that was one of those things that really troubled me because I, you know, the anxiety has been a barometer for me. I've learned to really, you know, if my body all of a sudden is getting really amped up, it's something's happening. Um, and, and I've, I've, you know, anxiety has been something I've had to deal with. But there's also been real blessings in it. And some of it has been a little bit of that gut instinct of like, I just kind of know this, like my body's pretty visceral <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in how I'm, and I was really losing that, um, that last year or so of drinking. And that really, really bugged me of, I, I, I was I, of kind of discerning. I'm like, am I just overreacting and feeling really like activated about something? Or is this my gut instinct? And I couldn't discern. And that really bothered me. And about yeah. a year into not drinking, it's like, oh, it's back. Like it's I can back. feel my gut instinct now. Yeah. Yeah. I was super I... reactive, super reactive when I was drinking, like didn't give time to even have to listen to the intuition or try to try to access something else within me. I just reacted, didn't think. And that's what I didn't like about it at all. Well, and you know, this intuition piece, so this is also hormones. Um, 
which I've had a real respect for. So I don't know. Have, do you guys have you heard much about kind of the 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 menstrual cycle and the intuitive piece with that? No. Some I have, but I want you to elaborate. So this is also really fascinating to me. Of you know the traditional menstrual cycle, um, traditionally is twenty eight days. Um, it doesn't mean that's what every woman experiences, and there's other factors of um, if there's hysterectomy or you know not bleeding, pregnant, all, all of that. But then we can connect it with the moon cycles as well, which I, I love moon stuff. But um, but typically the way we kind of you know there's this thirty day cycle that happens. Um, that I, that women, kind of the mystic women that, you know, years and years ago, I think were much more connected with their cycle. Like they talk about the red tent, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I, I love that there's a fiction book and it's one of my favorite books, but, um, and the, that there's real power in bleeding. And mm-hmm. so the day of the menstrual cycle, you know, when we start bleeding and those days that follow is um, on a cyclical level, a real internal time, but also a real heightened intuitive time and power time. And there's been stuff written about that. Um, Dr. Christiane Northrup, who's a medical doctor, she wrote Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom. She's a holistic gynecologist. She uh, went to Dartmouth Medical Center, but she really connects creativity and intuition and um, kind of the energetic component with our cycles. So day one and those first couple of days of bleeding is actually a time to naturally kind of pull in and, and be quiet and be still and have, um, listen to our intuition. It's not always possible in our modern day, but then the cycle as, you know, kind of when bleeding ends up to mid cycle, like day 14, which is ovulation, that's actually the real creative time. Um, a real outward expression of connecting with others. And biologically, this makes sense because that's when we get pregnant. You know, Mm -hmm. so that's that Mm -hmm. outward connection. Like that's when um, the sperm and the egg is right at that peak, uh, you know, day 14. But if we're not um, conceiving a physical baby, it's the conception of the idea or the project or, you know, the creative. So it's it's a real kind of outward time. And then from kind of day 15 going down into day 28, we're slowly kind of coming back into that internal space, getting ready then to bleed and and be quiet. And following that cycle, there's intuitive wisdom there. Um, We can, uh, you know, there's also been things from naturopathic medicine about at the beginning of the cycle, kind of day one to 14 is actually the time when, when it's easier to kind of do more of a protein diet, vegetable, animal protein, whatever you like. But then day 14 to 28 is um, where we need more carbohydrates, white Mm -hmm. potatoes and rice. And so there's, there's natural rhythms and cycles that we fight because of our modern day, like body image stuff and, and produce and achieve. And, and we get off that cycle. And I think our bodies start to really kick up more. And they're like, you need to listen to me through Mm -hmm. cramps and headaches and, and, and bleeding, like on like the symbolic level, blood is our life force. It's Mm -hmm. really powerful. And, um, so I, you know, there, there's wisdom in, in periods and, and cycles. And if we're not bleeding, um, the new moon time is kind of like equivalent to that day one of when we would bleed. 
And then the full moon is kind of that ovulation creative time. And so we can follow the moon cycles to follow that as well. That's so, so good. Yes. I was just about to ask about that for women who are no longer having a period, which is kind of me actually. Um, it's not, I'm not consistently not having a period, but I'm approaching that, I think. So that's such good information. And I have, I have, um, I have followed a couple of people that do a lot of work about uh, around the moon cycle and the menstruation cycle. And I think that is so interesting. And um, you can almost, even if you don't chart it, you're right. If you just listen to your body, listen to your intuition or or the things that you're gravitating toward, you can exactly. almost follow it naturally. Yeah. You just exploded my mind, Jolene. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm just writing notes, but I'm like, okay, so after I had my son, I got an IUD because I used to suffer from monthly migraines that were with my cycle and I had really bad periods. So I kind of, I haven't put it all together yet, but by stopping that, not listening to my intuition, numbing out, not paying attention to my body for those 15 years, right? I still don't have one. I still have an IUD. So I wonder like to pay attention, like you're saying, if you don't have one to pay attention to the, the things that I'm opening myself up to now, like to listen and to learn more about the moon cycles. And it all makes so much sense to me. So I'll have to yeah. think about this more about, about this IUD. Yeah. And there's, there's no, um, right or wrong, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, it really is about where you are, what's happening in your life. Um, kind of your body, there's no kind of prescriptive, this is what every woman should do. Um, but I, there's power in that cycle. And then going into more of the menopause um, phase, when we stop bleeding, we're holding, then we're not releasing that, that blood, um, just literally and physically. Mm-hmm. Right. But that, that power and that wisdom is very internal now. And, and I, you know, this was something, you know, this was part of my whole thing of, um, wanting kids, but then also, um, it's like, I don't want to go through menopause. Like I, because I've been, I, I know it's, it's that atypical thing, but I, I have, have liked the bleeding cycle, um, kind of, you know, the release and it just, it, it's like, who it felt has always felt good to me. And I know that's such a weird, because <laughs> no, most I, women I don't, yeah, don't no, that. I know what you're saying. I, and I agree. Do you? Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I resonate with that for sure. Oh, good. Good to hear. And so th- you know, that's been part of my, it's like, oh my gosh, I, I don't want my period to stop. Like how, because I, I have been tied into that. It's like, oh no, it's day 18. Like my periods, you know, no wonder I kind of feel this way. Or so I've been able to kind of w- know what day I'm in and, and correlate that. And then I'm like, if I'm not bleeding, how, then what? Mm-hmm. But, but I have to say, um, at 47, um, being, you know, perimenopausal, I'm kind of embracing this, you know, the next phase then is that crone wisdom, which stereotypically has been like, you know, the dried up kind of hag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's really the empress. It's really the kind of that, that goddess wisdom of where it is like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Um, and I know what I want and kind of what, and not saying I, 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 but like collectively women, yeah. um, 
that's what we're stepping into. And we haven't had good models for that. Um, and again, Christiane Northrup, one of my favorite um, kind of doctors and teachers, she wrote a book called Goddesses Never Age. And she Age, talks yeah. all about this. And I, yeah. I highly recommend it, of really embracing there's a lot of power and a lot of wisdom. And I think the more we fight that, um, suppressing it, you know, definitely with alcohol. And I think this is why alcohol really comes up for women. It's that fork in the road in, in their 40s of which direction am I going to go with this? Um, yeah. goddess direction yes go towards yes. the goddess direction <laughs> well you're right it does feel very powerful I have to say and I never thought I would say that you know I mean there's a part of me that think there's a path I can go sometimes and think I've wasted so much time you know I wasted so much time drinking um I drank a lot of years away but now at least I get, at least I have a chance now and going through being sober at this time does feel extremely powerful. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. And, and I just want to speak to that too of, you know, I hope anyone listening, um, isn't, you know, I, this isn't about regretting. Um, you know, our drinking or, or that time, or it's all part of it. Um, it's, it's all part of, there's been this innate kind of knowing and wisdom and it can be scary, you know, to, to just really live like fully like that rising up. And, um, and it's just, it's part of the journey because it, you know, in those times, like that's where the nuggets are going through the times that, that we went through. So I certainly don't want, uh, you know, I hope no one feels regretful or I, I know it's hard, but, it is um, hard. But, but there's still wisdom there. It, yeah. it, it's, it's not like, um, you know, all the, the wisdom comes because of those experiences. Um, and I think the more of those kind of gritty, you know, times that that's where all the strength comes. So, so please, you know, um, see the gems in that. Yeah. Um, I Thank went, you for saying that. Yeah. I, I went to a workshop with Liz Gilbert and she said to pay attention to your knowings and especially as we're getting older. And I, I wrote that down in my little book and I've heard other people talking about their knowings. And I think I feel like that's what I know, what I know for sure. Now, what I, what I know is that I can't drink that no longer, that does not serve me. It's not the type of person. I do not become my higher self when I am drinking. I don't, I don't, um, I don't, I don't, I can love her. I can feel like I want to give her a hug, but I, I know that I no longer want to live like that. And I think that's what becomes, I feel so powerful. Like when we're, when we come to sobriety, like what Sandra said, like, I feel super powerful now. I feel like I can do anything actually. Yeah. And I don't, yeah. I didn't feel that way my whole life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why there's this rising up right now that's happening. And I think why this movement is really gaining momentum. And um, it's, I'm kind of passionate and excited about returning to some of what has, has been some of that feminine, innate knowing that, that we've forgotten about. It's always yeah. been there. We just have forgotten it and we just haven't had good models. And so it's an exciting time to return to it. And there, there's fun pieces to explore around all of that. And, and doing that with other women, right? Like collaborating, like what you're doing with Aiden and, and um, collaborating with your friend who owned the yoga studio and you're doing a workshop there that you did out here in Petaluma. Like just all this collaboration, I, I'm really enjoying women in a way that I, it's all new to me. 
And I've been friends with women my whole life, but this is like a, a new phase. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, do you have a question, Sandra? You want to? Yeah, okay. I just wanted to circle back real quick, um, back to your TEDx talk. You came up with this brilliant acronym, uh, Nourish. And those were ideas that you had to naturally and help and generate naturally and in a healthy way, GABA, serotonin, and dopamine. Can you tell our listeners what NOURISH stands for? Sure, sure. So NOURISH um, is an acronym, and N, notice nature. O, observe your breath. U, unite with others, just exactly what we were talking about, about the community mm -hmm. of women. Um, R, replenish with food. I, initiate movement. S, sit in stillness. And H, harness your creativity. Ah, oh, well, we like that one. <laughs> Can we talk about that a little bit? Let's talk about that concept. <laughs> Why do you think that's important to, I don't know if you're calling it recovery or, 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 or what your language is around it, but why, why is that a, an important component um, to develop I, those? Yeah. The, and this is why I, lo I love the work that you both do and, you know, follow both of you and listen to the podcast. You guys inspire me. I love Aww. your creative projects. Um, I, it's so inspirational. And um, I think you. it's so important from an overall well-being health perspective and also going back to this hormone uh, kind of, you know, invoking just that that feminine um, power. Um, side of things. So from both sides. So from from just speaking from the general well-being side, um, I've always worked with a wellness wheel when I've taught my corporate workshops and have been, um, you, you know, my early ethos and early kind of philosophy of, of the work that I've done has been, I think we have this narrow definition in this country um, of what it means to be healthy. And that definition has been eat right and exercise. Well, of course, you know, we want to eat good food, food we want to move our bodies. Um, but, you know, there are many people who have a really consistent exercise routine, but they may not be healthy right? Um, because there's other things like what's going on with financial debt or sleep, um, play, leisure, the creative process, the spiritual connection, the emotional well-being, so service, giving back and volunteering. So all of these pieces um, nourish us. And they're nutrients that are very important. And the, you know, there's a couple pieces, the leisure and fun creative piece, the relationship piece, um, community, and the spiritual piece. When we look at like longevity studies, so people who live to be, you know, a hundred years um, or more and 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 get to that point without real chronic disease, um, you know, like cancers and heart disease, and, and they live a long life. Uh, they start digging in and saying, what are the common denominators here? And yes, it can be how they eat and how they move. But what really rises to the top to become really important is their leisure, their fun, their connection with community and spiritual peace. And um, you can just kind of look around too of people who are aging, who you know in your life, who have a hobby like gardening, golfing, knitting, painting. Um, in general, you know, when I look around my life, people who have hobbies as they age tend to not take as many prescription drugs and not be as sick. Whereas mm -hmm. people who don't have a hobby, and this is a huge generalization, but just, you know, yeah. experiment, look around your own life. And I, and I've always been a big fan of, um, you know, that's been a part of my wellness teaching of through the ebb and the flow, the good, the bad, the up and the down alone, more social times, having an anchor to go back to, especially with a creative, 
um, I call it an ING activity because you're active, you know, it's like, but your mind gets in that single focused attention. Like when you're out with the fishing pole or painting a picture, like the mind can really focus in and step off of the track of money and kids and worry. And, and it's very nourishing to have, uh, that leisure outlet. Um, and then it, going into more of the kind of the hormone creative piece, what we were just talking about, um, energetically, the solar plexus, the womb, our uterus, that kind of our belly, abdomen area, that's the creative center for women of our body. Um, and if that's not, if we're not kind of nourishing that, often then we're, I think, trying to... Um, you know, feed it and drink <laughs> to, to nourish. And we can eat all the food and drink all the drink in the world, but it's not going to fill up that, that really necessary energetic kind of center of, of needing to create. And again, going back to the cycles, whether it's monthly or whatever of, you know, if we're not having a physical baby, like our psyche needs as a nutrient to create and to play and to have fun. It's very nourishing and it's a real key piece to general well-being and just this this whole picture about um, cravings and using substances and um, creativity. I love it. That really validates everything that Tammy and I talk about on this podcast. You know, we started this podcast because we wanted to talk about um, you know, that time when we quit drinking, that time and how do you fill it, you know, that, that void of time and, and just generate ideas for women, um, that they can use, uh, to, to fill that time. And so that you have the science to behind it <laughs> <laughs> to what we felt so maybe we were I was listening to my intuition even though I've been out of practice <laughs> because every and I will pay more attention to this because the um when the ideas come Sandra we talk a lot about this just personally between the two of us like we wake up and are like it's like our brains on fire like we have to get all the ideas out onto the computer or onto a piece of paper or in a journal and then there's other times where there's like nothing and so I should pay attention to when those times are during the month with the moon cycle. Mm-hmm. Like when is, when is it when everything is happening? Like right now I'm in this beautiful state of like, ever, I can't stop the ideas. And I just saw that there's a full moon on to, tonight, right? Today, tonight. Today, yeah. So that, ma- that makes sense. Now that you're just saying this, I'm putting it together going, ah, this seems like it's divinely timed. <laughs> Thank you for connecting that for us because, yeah, that's why when we started talking about this, like, we also think that everyone is creative, right? Like, I think being alive and being human and creating life or not or creating a dinner party or not or creating a pretty tablescape or a garden or all of it is you're creating your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and again, why I love what you guys are doing and and your podcast in this conversation, because this is a keystone nutrient. It's a keystone piece. And um, and it can be a hard piece for for people, even for me. Like, I don't think of myself as as an artist um, or sometimes even creative. But, you know, I I know that that it's there and, and it's a real important outlet because it's that thing of like, what are we hungry for? 
mm-hmm. and our psyche and our emotion, like our physical body is hungry because it, that's what keeps us alive and repairs and rebuilds the muscles and tissues and, and organs. That's why we need to eat physical food. But there's hunger beyond that of the creative outlet, um, hunger for connection, for solitude, the stillness, uh, for nature, for being outdoors. So those are really important nutrients. And again, when you know people say, I drink to have fun, I drink to relax, I drink, because there's been no other model in their life or opportunity or, you know, it's like, what do you do for fun? And people are like, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't have a hobby. Like that's more common than not. And so coming back to that can be a real keystone piece for sustainability of, you know, long-term switching addictive patterns and just long-term well-being and health. Mm-hmm. But you have to you have to be intentional about it, you know? You have to do it on purpose. You can't just lie on the couch and wait for it to to land on you. What? You can't. <laughs> I know. Weird. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, and I work a lot with clients on, uh, you know, this is the piece of what, kind of what we talk, we're talking about, about um, what does our body know? And this can be a, a, it takes practice on this. But I find a lot, especially with women who are used to achieving and producing and checking the box, you know, it's the, I went to the gym, I meditated, I um, diffused my essential oils, I, I journaled, and I, I, I still feel like I'm coming out of my skin. I did the stuff. I checked the boxes. And so I work with people a lot on why are you doing what you're doing and how does it feel? And um, which is a practice, you know, of kind of coming back to our senses. So when you sit down with, with your pen and journal, what happens? How, you know, what's happening in your body? What just happened with your muscles? Did they unclench a little bit? What happened with your breath? Notice that. And, um, and there can be some activities where, sure, journaling can, can be very therapeutic, but for some people, it just, they clench up and it's agitating. And, you know, like my sister sitting down to journal is like her worst nightmare. <laughs> she, would, she hates it, um, which is fine. You know, there, there's many, many options, but notice how you feel and then follow that. You know, after you do yoga, after you do a creative project or, you know, in the middle of it, what's happening with your mood? What's happening with your energy? What's happening with your body? Because that, that's where the cue is. And then if you're getting the green light of like, oh, I feel like I can take a breath, then keep doing that. If you're feeling like you're getting a red light where you're holding your breath <laughs> and clenching, don't do that. Just because meditation's good doesn't mean it's good for everyone. Right. That would be me. <laughs> I'm working on it. I think everybody's working on it, though. Um, I was just listening to Dan Harris talk on the ritual podcast about just meditation. Everybody thinks they're doing it wrong, right? There's no wrong. And getting that down first is kind of like the first thing. So, but you're right. Paying attention when, when I do it, I, I, I pay attention to the rest of my day, how it goes. It, it is a smoother and I can't even kind of quantify what happens after I meditate. There's just a different shift. There's like this tiny incremental shift that makes me walk through the world differently that day. And so why don't I do that more often? Why do I resist it? You know, I just do. (laughs) But like what you're talking about, Jolene, you know, listening to your body and if meditation doesn't feel good for you that day, maybe a walk would feel good or, or just uh, time to sit, get on the floor and stretch or do a little yoga or 
you know, sit quietly with a book, but just listening to your body and, um, yeah, you don't have to responding. check it off the list. You don't yeah, have to check it off. Exactly. But I'm a list checker. And I have to say, so when you said that Jolene, like that resonated with me because, um, there was this challenge of this other group that I'm in about meditating every day. And I did it for two days and then I rebelled and I was like, but I, I don't want to. I, I know I know I probably will feel better, but yet I don't want it to be the thing on my to-do list. Like that's, I have a lot of things on my to-do list. I don't want meditating to be one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Listen to that. Yeah. Listen to that. Yeah. yeah. This is a, this is a lot of, you know, where I work with people one-on-one um, and, you know, a practical way to make it even more, because sometimes it's like, how the fuck do you listen to your body? Like, what, what, <laughs> what does what, that mean? What, right. It's too what esoteric. That it's too, yeah. like, it sounds good, but how Fluffy. do you do it? Yeah. Right. So I, I can dial it back a little bit to put it in a real practical way. And, and something that I've really um, been enjoying, you know, right now in my life is the idea of coming back to our senses. And that's how we listen to our body. Because it's that sensory experience. So the five senses, visual, uh, smell, sound, touch, and taste. And so invoking a practice, I right now am not doing a kind of typical traditional meditative practice. But what I'm doing is the five senses practice. So how can I use my visual um, sense? Sometimes I like to just light a candle and just um, have a soft gaze on that flame. Because we know that when we can have our eyes still on an object, it starts to give the message to the nervous system. We don't need to dart our eyes around the environment right now. We're safe. And when we feel frantic or anxious, our eyes start looking around for something to attach to. So if we give our eyes something to attach to, like a candle flame, to me, can be really soothing. It starts to still the body which can calm the mind because otherwise the mind is always going back to the past or projecting into the future. And so being present in the now is focusing. Often um, people will immediately close their eyes, but when I teach, I can see a whole room, you know, they close their eyes and it's like, I've just lost the room. They, I just lost them. Like I can feel the energy. It's like, who, where did they go? Their mind's thinking there. But when you keep your eyes open on an object, like a candle flame for that visual sense, it keeps you anchored in the now. You can also use like guided imagery where it's a very guided visual, like walking through the forest, you know, so that you can use that visual sense and then invoking, um, but like going for a walk in nature, you look at the trees, look at the dirt under your feet. That's a way to invoke your visual. So there's many ways to do that. Um, smell, uh, aromatherapy. I like to put a couple drops on my hands, inhale that, or being outside, inhaling. What do I smell when I'm around trees or I'm at the ocean? Um, the sound, using, uh, being very purposeful about ambient sound. I like Celtic music, so I'll often listen to to that or, you know, being at the beach, just the sound of the waves. Um, taste, being intentional. Um, what, what do you want to taste as you're sitting? Maybe like some, I like ginger tea or whatever tea um, or whatever, whatever food. And, and then touch. So um, you can actually like just patting kind of from your shoulder down to your palm, patting the top of your legs down to your feet, like kind of coming back into your body, like touch your body. There's some acupressure points to do, putting your feet on the ground, touching the ground, feeling the ground. So invoking all five of those senses for me is a meditative, active practice that helps me kind of be like, what does my body want now? Once my body's grounded in the present moment through my senses. 
what you're saying reminds me of Ellen Langer's work um, around mindfulness. And she talks about mindfulness just being actively noticing things around you. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with her work? I'm not. I'm not. I don't know her. Oh, wow. She uh, she wrote a book about mindfulness, I think, in the 80s, the late 80s. So she's sort of, you know, the godmother of, of mindfulness as a study. And um, uh, she did a great On Being interview. If you ever want to Google it and listen to it, it's fantastic. I've listened I will. to it. Many times, yeah, it's really, really good. But that's exactly how she describes mindfulness, is just actively noticing things. She always talks about how you can meditate or not. You can meditate and not be mindful, actually. So, Absolutely. um, What's her name again, Sandra? Ellen Langer. E-L-L-E-N Langer, L-A-N-G-E-R. Thank you. Well, and some of the the research I'm really interested in right now, the kind of the neuroscience, the somatic, um, somatic meaning body. Um, the felt sense is, is what some of those people are, are saying is that um, meditation in and of itself without being resourced, without kind of having, you know, physically grounding, like feeling your feet on the ground, um, using your senses to kind of keep your mind in the present moment. It's if we're not resourced, grounded, oriented and centered, again, very practical ways to do that using touch, using smell, that kind of thing. Um, it's very hard to meditate. And so most people aren't resourced. And that's why it's hard to meditate. It's just another way, you know, for distraction, because then our mind just spins back to the past or into the future. And it's not kind of calming to the body. The objective right. is we want the body to feel calm. So the mind can feel calm. Right. That was so key at your workshop, Jolene, um, was the grounding exercises really super helpful. I came home, that was on a Saturday, your workshop. And then the next day I hadn't had an anxiety attack or a panic attack in like six months, but the next day I had one and it was so weird. And while I was having it, it was like a slow build and I didn't know I was in it. Cause you kind of just don't, sometimes you're just kind of trying to figure out and trying to go, what's going on with me? What's, what's happening. And I hadn't had one in so long. So I went to lay down cause that's normally what I do. And I was laying down and closing my eyes. And I was like, I just learned yesterday what to do. (laughs) So I got up and took off my socks and touched the ground, like you said, and found a focal point. And um, it subsided. It helped. It didn't completely go away, but I felt so much better than I did. So thank you so much for that, for those tools in that workshop. Oh, I'm glad to hear you were able to put it into immediate practical use. It made me laugh almost. I'm like, I can't believe it's happening. And then I didn't know it was happening while I was in it. You know, it was like four hours of just kind of not knowing what was up. And then as soon as I did that, it was like a little snap, like it broke it. It wasn't, it didn't have that power over me. And I felt, I did feel more grounded. I did feel relief. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the objective with it is, is not to not feel or to, you know, distract from it or suppress it, but it's kind of as the waves move through our body, because that's what emotions do. Um, but to have a way to resource our body so that we don't feel like it just knocks us over or, you know, we feel flooded. So that's the whole kind of practical idea of physically working with the ground, the orienting and the centering so that we don't have to jump out of our skin and escape from it. Yeah. And so often I closed my eyes. And like you said, that kind of takes you to another dimension, right? Because your mind 
it kind of revs up, or at least it did for me. But keeping my eyes open and finding that focal point to stare at, it just, I don't know, it was almost like it just like this peace came through me, right down the center of me. And I was like, wow, that was, and I had my hand on my heart and my hand, my other hand on my stomach, right, my belly. And uh-huh. I kind of just, wow, it just really, it really was really helpful. So thank you. I used it. Oh, yeah, good. I used it immediately. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. I a, love things it's... that work, that <laughs> right? actually tangibly work. Yeah. Me too. Me yeah. too. I'm a, I'm a hard critic. You know, I, I say that to, when I teach, I say, um, you know, if, if the roles are reversed right now and I'm sitting there as, you know, the student or, you know, in the audience listening to somebody like. I want something, give me something practical, give me something that works. So I'm always, um, you know, when I'm creating presentations and, and talks coming from that mindset of kind of through my critical eye of like, first of all, do I even do this? <laughs> it, right. You know, is it useful? And, and have, do I have the experience that it works for me? Um, cause otherwise what, you know, what's the point? I want things to be useful to people. Well, I think I think what makes you a really good teacher too, Jolene, or what I took away that day, um, I wrote down, you know, lots of notes. But one thing that I um, I keep coming back to, and I don't even have to look at my notes, is that you just kept saying that you didn't demonize food, and I get that from you when you're talking about alcohol too, because I don't feel like you're demonizing alcohol. You're being very factual. You're telling your story. Um, it's not for you. And I think I think the people that you're reaching and the people that are gravitating to your work, um, I'm sure that is resonating with them. That you're not demonizing anything. You're just being very practical and very matter of fact and straightforward. And they can choose to hear that or not. But that was my, it made me want to listen more to you because you weren't going to say like, you can't have, I think I shared with you that I quit coffee and you're like, yeah, I don't demonize any food. Um, You know, some people um, have a strong reaction to caffeine. Some people don't. And so it just depends. And I was like, "Ah, yes, that makes sense. Of course, I'm more sensitive to it, probably. Thank you. And that correlation with anxiety. Well, and, you know, that's, again, I, I very much um, another one of my, my big beliefs um, from, you know, how I teach is that I know is that we all have a biochemical individuality and we all have different constitutions. And so there there just isn't a formula. Like if it were as easy as, you know, here's the formula menu plan, uh, I'll hand that out and, uh, okay, you know, the workshop's over in five minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> But it's not that easy. There's lots of layers depending on your, um, you know, individual habits and, and preferences and the environments that you've been in and your immune system and nervous system. And and um, and again, I just that's so fun to me to like it's kind of like the body whisper, you know, to uncover it versus um First of all, you know, nobody, not even me, like if you tell me not to do something, like I don't want to hear that. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's like, why is this stuff the way it is? And then what can we add? Because often with health and eating and, you know, all of this, initially um, we've been so conditioned and unconsciously we immediately think can't have, have to stop, have to deprive. Right. It's all about elimination. Right. But Yeah. And of course, you know, we've all taken alcohol out. That is a pretty Mm -hmm. hard elimination. Um, It was very necessary for me. And I know you guys feel the same way. But in general, with with a lot of the wellness stuff, I like to really look at what can we add in and then not just add it in because we're jumping through hoops and checking a box, but adding in because there's actual like physiology connection and and it actually does. It serves a function. 
when we do certain things. Um, depending on who you are, it can um, connect and, and really help your physiology, which ultimately helps you feel better. I love it. So much Jolene, good stuff. So good. Jolene, I really want you to tell everybody how they can work with you. Yeah. What are, where, how are the many ways they can work with you? Sure. So um, my website, healthydiscoveries.com, and I do one-on-one -on -one coaching where a lot of these, the conversation that we've just had um, is, is the conversations I have with clients and then knowing kind of their blood results and, and their personal stories, really customizing then resources and, and recommendations. And then I'm there for the accountability. So you get my whole toolbox of resources um, specifically for you. And then clients have access to me every day. So check-in, accountability of follow-through to really establish new routines and habits. Um, you can sign up for my email list, uh, for my newsletter list on my website. And I am launching a Nourish online community, membership community that I'm going to launch in May. Ooh, and I'll be sharing nice. um, each month. I'll share a video on a functional nutrition tip and then a somatic kind of energetic, really practical thing that you can do. Um, I, I've also done, you know, healing touch and acupressure. And so incorporating that with some of the somatic work of like, here's a real practical exercise um, to help calm the body. And so I'll share that. Um, I'll share a guided somatic meditation and a, or a therapeutic journaling prompt. And then I'll do a live Q&A um, call each month. So that's what I'm creating wow. <laughs> literally right now and in the process of doing, but that membership community is, is going to be up in May in April. I will launch it and, um, you know, you can, you can sign up during the month of April. Yeah. Well, that you sounds amazing. Are you in our unruffled Facebook group, Jolene? I think you are. Yeah. Will yeah. you share that there with everybody? Can you, Absolutely. you know, on our, sh I think we do it on yeah, Fridays. Uh, yeah. I'm sure everyone will be interested. Yeah, That's amazing. Well, thank you. Oh, and do you have it. any more workshops coming up for the year? Um, I have one in Denver at a yoga studio, Yoga Pod, um, in South Denver. That'll be May 12th. Uh, that's on the calendar. And then I am, am available. So, uh, you know, I love teaching at yoga studios, the experiential workshop that Tammy attended when I was in uh, California. So it's three hours, and, and it's a lot of what we talked about, but um, you, you actually get some of the experience of it, you know, getting to try some of these exercises. So if anyone has an organization or a group um, anywhere in the country, I'm happy to travel if, if there's enough interest. Nice. That's great. And then um, I'm still looking for real estate for you out here, Jolene, <laughs> so that you can come and be my neighbor. And Sandra, you too. <laughs> Which I would love because you know that being at the ocean is so nourishing for me. And yeah, I'm so yeah. So landlocked in Colorado, so I need more ocean more often. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll keep an ear. Uh, um, yeah, my ear open. Um, eyes open, ear open. Uh, yeah, I need some some teeth. Both. Um, I'll, everything's open, Jolene. I'm gonna open up for you. Um, I got to meet with one of your clients this week for lunch, and I had just such a lovely time. And so that connection there too, you know, she listened to the pod, and then I met her at your workshop, and she knows a friend of mine um, that they work together, that the friend that's not in recovery. So we had all these little, you know, connections. And it was really great that um, that we got to meet at your workshop. Oh, I'm so glad you guys did. It's such a, a small, fun world. And she's really good friends with 
my friend who brought me to Pataluma, my college roommate, they know each other. And I just find, you know, I, I'm hosting, oh, this is the other thing. I, um, in Denver, I'm hosting a sober AF group, um, Denver meetup. And, and we're doing things like just getting together at coffee shops and connecting and, and um, c- connection and conversation. We're doing hikes. Um, I taught a Craving Brain workshop for that group. Uh, one of the girls is an herbalist. She's going to do an herbal workshop. So we're just offering lots of workshops. And if you're in Denver, um, know that that's available. Reach out to me. I'd be happy to add you. But I do find it's like, you know, people who are choosing to make this alcohol free decision, it's like, you're, you're like, will you be my friend? Like you're exactly, (laughs) it's, it's just so aligned and so wonderful. Everybody on this path. Yeah, common language and just interests. And yeah, it's been uh, same for me. Same for Sandra, too, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. Oh, well, we could talk to you all day, but we should probably wrap things up. Um, Do you want to share with our listeners your three unruffled toolbox items? Yeah. Um, So I, you know, kind of mentioned it earlier that the coming back to your senses um, Hmm. practice is something that I is really nourishing to me right now. And, and I do that in different ways. Um, I love knitting. (laughs) I just discovered. And so I've been knitting a lot. And, um, for me, knitting can be really calming, but I invoke kind of, you know, the five senses of the touching the yarn. That's that touch piece, but listening to music, soft music while I knit, um, maybe a little aromatherapy, um, or, you know, doing it like walk around the park, is a way, you know, I'm on the dirt. And so I I like just kind of being creative about how can I do some practices, um, with the five senses. And, um, and then I would, uh, you know, knitting is, is a big toolbox piece for me. Um, and baths. I, there's a bubble bath that I love from Neil's yard in London, and it's a seaweed arnica bath. That's just really relaxing and, and so those are kind of kind of my three go-to things right now. They switch all the time and it just kind of depends on the season and, and what's happening. But those are the three things, knitting, baths, and the five senses technique. I love it. Okay. I have those all good. those down and I've taken so many notes. I got, I can't, yeah, I don't know that anybody else can read them, but I can read them. <laughs> I know we'll have to warn our, our audience that they may need their notebook yeah (laughs) no they definitely do uh well jolene you um we didn't even get to some of the things i wanted to ask you about like how you created your ted talk and how you created the podcast with aiden but do you want to promote your podcast oh yes yes so um edit editing our drinking and our lives i do with aiden donnelly rally she's in new york city and she quit drinking herself uh, about a year and a half ago. And so we have conversations about gray area drinking and everything that comes with it going into social occasions and, um, you know, the forever question and, and all those different topics. We keep it um, real short. They're just little 30 minute conversations and we release them in bundles. So we release four at a time and we'll have another bundle coming up uh, pretty soon. And they can find you on iTunes and everywhere you find podcasts. Uh, iTunes, SoundCloud. Yeah. Now, do you, they sure. put in your whole name of your podcast? Um, yeah, you know, this was one thing we, when we launched, we, we, we were, we're edit podcast. Okay. Well, that doesn't, you know, cause then people think it's like about writing or it wasn't mm-hmm. coming up in searches. So we needed to do, um, the longer name. So editing our drinking and our lives will definitely come up in a search. That's Perfect. the best way to, to find us. I just wanted to make sure our listeners putting our drinking in our lives. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jolene, for taking the time and sharing all your expertise with us and our listeners and just really appreciate it. 
Yes, Jolene, thank you. I'm so um, honored that you guys asked me. It means a lot, and I I love talking with you both. Well, you have a beautiful day, and I'm sure we're going to have a lot of listeners uh, feedback in the Facebook group because Jolene is part of that, and I'm sure, I'm not saying you're going to answer all of them, Jolene, but if people want to communicate and say what they liked about the show or give, give some feedback, that would be really great. Absolutely. So you guys can do that, that would there. be and and again, you know, all of these pieces. This is um, why I'm doing the membership community because yeah. there's so much to talk about. So yeah. this is what people will get each month is yeah. is these little pieces um, ongoing. Oh yes, great. please share when that goes live. That'll be great. Yes. All right. Thanks, you guys. All right. Thanks. Bye, guys. Bye bye. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.